to Unfox Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Lee. Episode 5. Ah, we did it. We made it through January. And now here we are in February, a month of love, a month of romance. For me, it's a month of nostalgia. My mother would have been celebrating her 84th birthday on the 15th. And earlier this month, a dear close friend of mine will soon be celebrating her somethingeth birthday. You know, February doesn't have to be about couples. This is a wonderful time to celebrate the many relationships we have or have had with people past and present. In this episode, I rekindle a wonderful connection with a friend of mine from childhood and what a conversation we share. Ellen Lee, she's a rare find. Tenacious, bold, beautiful, and ridiculously funny. There isn't a situation, good or bad, that she doesn't welcome with a zestful curiosity and humble appreciation. Ellen is a creative thinker, able to ingeniously weave together ideas and principles of interior design with all the senses. It's called sensory input or sensory design. The sensory designer's task is to render a space vivid enough for the individual to actually be who they truly ought to be. Ultimately, that is to be happy. A single room can yield enough power to change how we feel and what we experience. Our senses move us through space. That space entwined with the senses can evoke memory and emotion, time and place, which is what you will learn in Ellen's recount of her life's journey. Ellen's capacity for appreciation, both in her profession and in everyday life, is a sweet reminder that enduring through life's hardships only serves to show us what beauty lies within each of us and what mastery we are capable of achieving. We're at episode five. This is so exciting because what I manifested at the beginning of the year in my journal, and I wrote down all the things that I wanted to manifest for 2021 and beyond. So I made myself a list of the people I wanted to interview first, and I made my top five. And Ellen was in the top five. And Dun, dun, dun. she's episode number five <laughs> well it's awesome I'm glad we uh, connected so interesting that um, we are connecting because Ellen and I go back to when we were age eight I believe we moved in to that we all moved into the same neighborhood in Bel Air and the west end of Ottawa right around the same time and we're heading into grade three and then, uh, you know, our paths took us in different directions, our careers. Mine, of course, was the military, so it had me uh, all over the countryside. And, uh, and then we just sort of reconnected here and there when I would come back, pay visits to, to Ottawa. But more so, it was, it's through social media and Facebook that's really allowed us to have a greater connection with our friends, lost friends and family members. So Facebook has some good advantages. <laughs> It does. Connecting the world. Makes it a a smaller place for for us in in many ways. So my very first question to you, Ellen, was, and it's a very similar theme that we'll have with all my podcasts, because we are talking about people who endured through 2020 with some tenacity and some resilience, always sticking to their why. Mm -hmm. So I asked, um, but what really intrigued me was in our initial phone call, you shared some in interesting facts about your skill and gift that you cleverly weave into your profession as um, sensory input. 
So elaborate on what that and how has that helped you carve out a unique niche in your in your profession as an interior designer? From from early on, I've you know always kind of knew first of all that I wanted to to do um, uh, to be an interior designer and to do this as a profession. Coming from a Chinese background or an Asian background, being an interior designer was pretty taboo. I mean, it's it's a it's a form of art, and um, to be honest with you, I mean, Asian growing up Asian. Uh, parents just want you to go into, you know, more of a profession like a doctor or a lawyer, you know, the typical um, type of professions that most um, parents want you to succeed at. So I think, I mean, from early on, I bucked the trend. I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And, and I didn't realize it from back then why it appealed to me so much so that um, you know, I kind of steered away from uh, learning how to be an interior designer and then kind of coming back to it um, sometime in, you know, my late teens or in my early 20s when I decided to, you know, go to school for it and follow my dreams, so to speak. It's like uh, when we talk about sensory input, how how I think I, I knew was because of the intensity of the you know, the sensory input that I talked to you about. I mean, all the things around in my world are just so bright and vivid. I remember the day that I kind of knew that I wanted to, to be an interior designer. And it goes back to, I think I must have been 14 or 15. And I couldn't tell you what day it was, really um, what I was doing, why I was there. But you know, I could tell you what uh, kind of lighting came through the house, where I was in, in, in my boyfriend's house, um, who came around the corner carrying what laundry basket, what was in it, what the house smelled like. You know, those types of things, the sensory input was so vivid that I don't think I ever forgot that moment. And, and I thought to myself what I could do with this place and what I wanted to transform this place into. I remember having that thought. And then, I mean, obviously I think growing up, I, I forgot about that. But when I thought about being an interior designer, I thought, you know, that was the point that I knew that I wanted to, to take this up as my profession because of the the way that I felt and the way that I remembered these spaces and what I wanted to do with it. My first interactions with my first clients even, um, they came to me for obviously design help. Um, but a lot of people have, I think, difficulty in articulating what it is that they want about a space. You know, they might say, okay, I want, I like modern, I like classic. I ask them questions like, well, how do you want your space to feel and what is it that you want to how do you want to how do you want to be when you're in that space and people will will tell me okay I'd like this space to be airy or I'd like this space to feel very zen or they give me descriptions about um, how they wanted a space to feel not necessarily about how they want it to look because it's very hard to to kind of grasp on that and so I realized that for a lot of people, um, and for myself included, it's honing in on, on those sensory inputs and how 
um, touch, taste, smell, how you see a space, the color, how it affects you, um, all those things um, is what makes a space um, joyful or makes a space mm-hmm. feel beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you think about how your house, maybe when you grew up, smelled, you know, um, and, you know, it's really hard to translate how a house smells into, um, you know, a home and into design, but you can do that in, in many ways. And it's not just about baking cookies so that your house will sell like, you know, the trick that real estate agents would tell you to do, right? But you can actually design um, a kitchen to remind you of the smell that would come from, um, Oh, our friend Sue's house. Her mom used to bake bread all the time. Oh, I'd go yeah. there. Do you remember that? Like I remember. Bread, right? Yes. Bread and butter. Like her mom just perfected. And I would go there, you know, whenever I can. And I, you know, uh, Mrs. B, how do you, you know, what's your recipe for bread? <laughs> and I thought, and I can remember that kitchen, like to this yes. day, exactly the color because of the smell of bread. It, it translates into this cozy home sort of feeling, you know, the, the wonderful warmth that bread gives you and the, the smell of it. And I would design a space that would give you that kind of input. You know, it's, it's part philosophy, it's part psychology, it's part, you know, um, physics, it's part, I mean, we have rules of design that we all kind of try to stick to as designers, you know, like um, proportion, balance. I could probably design you a space that um, even though you've never been in Sue's mom's kitchen would probably feel like that. (laughs) Yeah. Fantastic. You have this high um, sensory input, Mm -hmm. but what makes that different or is it slightly akin to that sensory integration? Not necessarily. Well, I guess it is called a disorder, but there's a lot of children have that high, high sensitivity to there's one or several of the senses. I find that with sensory integration or the disorder, hypersensory, it can be very painful for, for a lot of people. It's like stimuli, stimuli, stimuli all the time. And with that amount of stimuli coming at you, you don't know where to focus and it can be very distracting and it can actually affect, I, I guess, nerves and um, you know synapses, um, all these things that make the body function Uh, If I walk into a space and I look at, you know, a a piece of walnut on the table, I can almost uh, feel with my eyes what the grain feels like. Um, You know, a grain of walnut tends to be linear as opposed to grain of, say, olive wood, which is circular. Everything has texture. Everything has dimension, shadow, space, proportion, um, smell, um, color, um, sound, you know, when you, when you tap a piece of walnut, it sounds completely different than when you tap a piece of cherry, for example. People, if they aren't able to kind of create um, pockets or compartments for the sensory input that they get, it's like, um, you know, throwing shrapnel at you. Um, okay. It tends to tends to be overloading. And fortunately Uh for me, it's not quite like that because 
able to be able to compartmentalize that into into you know um, into sensations etc that I find very pleasant even things that are unpleasant I find it still pleasant somehow yeah. <laughs> well speaking of unpleasantness so 2020 2020 <laughs> oh my god what a year so for you I mean like take us back to a time maybe in your childhood where you had um, had to build some strength or some characteristics or was there a time that helped shape or an event that helped shape your entrepreneurial spirit today and to your approach enduring through a rather unpleasant time? Oh, I don't know. I, I must have been between 14 and 16 years old, you know, living in our neighborhood. And unfortunately, I think back in the 80s, um, you know, it was a time, it was a very different time. And, you know, I, I was relentlessly bullied, I think, walking home from school by these, um, these awful boys <laughs> of, in our neighborhood. And I would try to find a way around it. I mean, so it was part obstacle, um, you know, maneuvering, it was part speed, it was part uh, agility, you know, it was part guts, like, was I going to fight my way through this? Was I going to, you know, run around the block and take the long way home and hopefully avoid these people um, as efficiently as possible? And every day I thought about this, like every moment, you know, come whatever it was, three o'clock, it was, you know, how to make that mad dash home. And that's just ridiculous. And when I got home, um, I told my parents and said, you know, I'm, I'm being bullied. And, you know, typical Asian, I guess, background, it was, you know, don't come crying to me. You know, you fight your own battles and don't cry, you know, uh, fight. I kind of took those two years and had to develop some strength and to overcome, you know, everyday fear of, um, getting beaten or, um, you know, uh, fear of failing, you know, um, I'm not saying that it's, it's ever a good thing because, you know, it was a different time, um, for us growing up. Thank God we didn't have like the digital age that we do now. I think it'd be a lot worse, right? It mm -hmm. was just back then it was like guts and, and fists really. Yeah. Um, it wasn't media, right? So, you know, I took guts and fists and I think that's how I went to high school, went through university, um, how I went through life. I mean, there's some, I've gone through some really um, tough things where you've had to, you know, kind of swallow a lot of shame, shame that isn't, shouldn't have been yours anyways. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not your fault that, you know, people pick on you or my parents said, you know, you go to university and you, you should become a doctor, a lawyer, etc. Um, I took that as a no, I can't do that. Um, and my, I guess, you know, remembering to those uh, years of guts and, and fists, I would do what I wanted to do anyways. You don't, um, you know, it took me many years to understand, um, you know, how to fail and that Failure doesn't actually mean failure. I mean, you've heard that many times, but again, you know, your resiliency of how to get through failure, it's just another obstacle, really. I think everything that is an obstacle, there's, 
there's another route home. There really is. And you just got to find it and you just got to find a way to, to kind of get through it. So being, I had, uh, you know, when I first started off um, as finishing school and I got through school, you know, despite what my parents wanted, um, you know, I got a job and, you know, that job was okay. But I realized that, uh, you know, working for somebody else has its obstacles. And so my way of getting around that obstacle was, you know, to create a space for myself and to create a, not just a niche for myself, but really to realize that I was going to do this. I was just going to have to, you know, figure this out myself. I think that's a big part of, you know, my, my strength there is being able to find a way around obstacles. Isn't that funny? Mm -hmm. How our, our paths early in life can really give us the tools, the tools in the toolbox to call upon, and we don't even realize. That we don't even realize exactly. We have and that strength. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think all our, our adversity and you know all our challenges they really do teach us something. And I didn't have a choice. You, you know, I think I think I remember even when I you know when I'm out biking in these like no man's land places, like I you know out me like the, the woods or, you know, out where there's nobody around. All I think is, you know, I got myself in this situation. How do I get myself out? It's, I guess with, you know, 2020 COVID, it really sucks. Mm -hmm. But what are you going to do? Like, mm -hmm. if you have a choice, you're not going to go out and, you know, get bitten by the zombie and say, I'm going to lay down and die, right? So you're going to fight and you're going to find a way uh, around this. So I would go bike and, you know, find my time, you know, to save my soul, to save my mind. Um, it was just another obstacle. Your know? cycling was your mindful meditation, the movement, the repetitive movement of the bike. and Exactly. Yeah. For I me, mean, it was the flow of the asanas from one yoga posture to another. But in that, I found me yes i found in those current. spaces right yes in those spaces so i've got to learn how to do that i've got to learn how to do that i, I mean i used to be a, a an avid long distance runner and when i got my into that rhythm it was just me and my breath inhale and the exhale and the inhale and it was rhythmically timed with my cadence almost but you get into a mindset that there's no longer anything but you and your breath. And that's truly what yoga is. Um, yes. And then in that, in that moment of stillness, we find, we find ourselves because it's all about creating a, un a union between the dynamic, the, the two dimensions, I should say, the inner dimension and the outer dimension. You know, finding that space, and it is a space. Mm -hmm. Finding that space is, um, it's like, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's like that aha moment, right? You lift, you, you're out in the wilderness, you're starving, you've got no food and you lift the rock and you find there's some grubs. I can eat that. <laughs> <laughs> Survival woman. There she is. Yes. In that space. Our grubs. Yes. <laughs> and my husband would get along famously. He was a survivor man for many years in the military and one of his, his jobs was to teach survival 
to oh wilderness God. survival to young pilots in the event that if they ever should go down in foreign territory, how first you're going to survive, escape yes. and evade. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. So you think Gavin will speak to me about that? <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably teach you how to dry worms and sprinkle them on salad, make dandelion okay. tea. We're talking about those terrible times and 2020 was definitely a time that will go down history for many reasons. So, I mean, was there a time in 2020 um, per se that that really, that's, that aha moment, good or bad or freaking horrible, uh, that you came mm -hmm. to the realization that you wanted to make a difference in either your career, your family life, among f friends, community, some of the above, all the above, none of the above? Uh, no, definitely. There was a moment. I mean, I would say specifically almost sometime in May of last year. I mean, all these things that we talk about, um, you know, with the sensory input, um, my job, um, obstacles, etc. I mean, I think it's really about, um, for me, um, connections, right? Connections to people in your life, connections to events and meaning, connection to, you know, the walnut texture of your table, yeah. all of that, right? I mean, I, I, th I guess in meditation, it's the here and now, you know, um, right now, where you, where you are, what you're touching, you know, um, all of that um, reduces anxiety, all of that kind of connection to this earth. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's such a big thing to be able to connect to people. I mean, uh, we all kind of lacked touch um, and input in, in 2020 with, pan with the separation of, you know, with the pandemic and not being able to see people that we loved or, you know, I think having that lack of connection really made me you know uh crave it even more and 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 you know instead of trying for it again it was just another obstacle so how was i going to connect um when there was such a, a big disconnect like i mean the whole world just kind of like fell apart and you know all the gears fell off and you know it went one way and like all the parts didn't work so you're scrambling around trying to pick up these pieces and how to put this together again. And hopefully, you know, like, you know, and what I found was that, you know, using social media, you know, I would connect to my friends with, you know, my posts or, yeah. you know, my writings and people hey, say, Hey, how are you doing? Or, and I didn't even realize that anybody ever read any of my shit, really, to be honest with you. Like sometimes I just, I put it out there and I think, I'm just writing because this is how I feel today. Like, fuck, this is how I feel, right? And <laughs> that's it. And it's writing about it, you did. That was the first time I understood, really, that there was this bullying situation going on. Even though we were still living in the same neighborhood and going to school, I had mm -hmm. no idea. Back then, I mean, I had journaling. So I wrote down, you know, things. And that was my way of having some traction in in this world where right? you write it down and it's like your to-do list or you, you know, you're, you wouldn't forget something or, you know, you read a book and it's somebody's experiences. It's their mm -hmm. way of documenting texture in their life. You know, when you read about somebody's experiences, it's, um, it's like, sometimes it can be like, you know, that, that nails on a chalkboard or, you know, oh. that splint or that splinter, right. That you got when you walked across the floor 
it friggin' hurts or it's like, oh my God, that that's how I felt when I stubbed my toe or that's how I felt when I got the splinter. Mm-hmm. But people don't, people didn't really know about this stuff and I didn't really know that anybody even read any of that stuff. So when I got feedback, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I have, I had a particularly, you know, intense post where I was really kind of jaded and disappointed that, you know, there are all these conspiracy theorists and, you know, people out there in my own family who just didn't believe that this was, you know, really happening. And I was feeling really negative. And then I write some posts and about disappointment and bullying because it reminded me of, you know, um, uh, of, right. Like, cause there was at, in the beginning, there was a lot of, um, you know, issues with, um, you know, where the virus came from. So I got a lot, I didn't get a lot of flack, but cause I'm Canadian, thankfully. And, and, and I don't say this in, you know, like a, a bad way, but fortunately I'm Canadian and not, um, I don't even know how I, I, I want to say it. I, I'm not from China. So, right. you know, there was a lot of, um, I guess, you know, racial issues with the fact that, you know, the virus came from there and was their fault and da, da, da. And, you know, I heard a lot of that on, on the news and it really just reminded me of, you know, growing up and how unaccepted I was because of, of you know, um, who I was and the color of my skin. And I didn't, I didn't even really know how to connect to that because I, I kind of live, you know, you know, a foot in this world and a foot, you know, in the heritage world, right? Like where I came from, you know, when, when people actually read some of my posts, when I was writing about this sort of thing, and they were surprised that, you know, this is how it was for me. And I thought, you know, they're also going through a lot of stuff because people will tell me, you know, it's, it's really hard, you know, just hang in there. Or I would, and then I started reading their posts. I mean, I always read other people's posts too, but it, it just kind of resonated with me that everybody was having such a shitty time. I, you know, found that it was so much more important to really kind of grow these connections. Like, why did we not have these connections before why, why does it take, I kind of, you know, I had my aha moment back in May, you know, in kind of, you know, dark times, I was feeling like I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't, you know, eating very much, I was exercising like crazy, just to stop thinking all these, you know, anxious thoughts. And, you know, what made me feel, um, right in a lot of ways was really connecting, you know, with people and, you know, connecting with the environment, you know, touching the ground mm-hmm. and being grateful that, you know, I have, you know, on, you know, nice wood floors to, to walk on, you know, if I had a piece of toast, like, oh, my God, that was the best piece of toast that I ever had kind of coming back to my sensory input, and realizing that, you know, we need um, you know, our sensory input, we need our connection with our friends, we need our connection with the world to really um, feel tied, death, disease, and famine to to bring us together when you know, you're right here, like even you and I haven't really talked in many years. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I like how you kind of phrased it, you needed to s- satiate the friendship sensory that and that being the connection it, 
that kind of wraps up all of the senses in one to be able to speak and hug and, and touch a friend, pat them on the shoulder, give them yeah. a high five. And, and that kind of translated to not just friendship sensory, but also world sensory, like mm. environment sense, you yeah. know, uh, right? There's so much negativity um, or it's so easy for a client to tell me, I hate this, or, you know, it's so easy for someone to say, you know, I'm so pissed off at this, or I'm so upset at this, or, you know, or that is so ugly. When you train your, and, and same with friendships, right? Like all this negativity with people, you know, it's like not being able to fill your basket with good things and it doesn't have to be you know a big bombshell of a thing it doesn't have to be your best friend and spending time with your best friend it could be anybody it could be you know the your neighbor across the street that you don't even know very well and you you just let them know that you know they're it's gonna be okay or that right like and it's nobody that you really even know that well but you're making you're filling that basket you know, with little things that mean a lot to somebody or, you know, little things in the environment that feel good or appreciating the things in your world that are great or that you have a chance to experience. I mean, you know, here I am, I get to eat oranges, I get to eat bananas, and I get to eat, you know, good things, right? Like I'm I'm just so fortunate to have these things and they don't have to be anything big. They're just small things. So I would go around my days when I'm cycling or, you know, when I'm talking to my friends on, on Facebook or, you know, the joy of simple things, the joy of the mundane things. But it's true. There's something to be said about the COVID year that certainly for me and my my journey through yoga more so in 2020 and that inner observation that yoga affords us the ability to observe ourselves in a posture and be aware of the breath and how the body's moving which transcends out to our outward existence in that we stop to observe and see everything that's all around us and recognizing when a situation doesn't serve us or a person to remove ourselves from that conflict and still be able to find joy and pleasantness in in our everyday activities yes you mentioned oranges, and I'm going to jump on that one. <laughs> okay. I want to go right to the story about oranges because it's okay. delightful, and I want people to hear it. I, I haven't stopped thinking about it, and as soon as you tell your story, I have a story to tell you about oranges as well. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, so where do I start? So with oranges... <laughs> I love oranges. I mean, I can't tell you how much I love oranges, except that I super love oranges. So (laughs) no denying. um, There's no denying. It's my favorite color. It's my favorite scent. It's my favorite texture. It's my favorite taste. So, you know, and, but oranges, you know, um, have a, um, I, I guess a double, you know, edge sword meaning to me right like I mean how it came to be when I was growing up oranges would be um, a good thing in the sense that you would give a gift of oranges to a friend or whenever you'd go to visit 
someone's house, you would always bring oranges. It was just a traditional thing. You don't bring a cake, you don't bring a bottle of wine, we brought oranges. So it was like, uh, you know, here, have some fruit, enjoy, you know, uh, and we all actually partake, like you would actually split the oranges and then everybody and the guests would have oranges and we kind of have, it's like a breaking of the bread sort of thing. But oranges were also used for um, in shrines, like as, as offerings to the dead. Um, so when, again, when we go over to other people's homes and somebody had passed away, there'd be shrine and you'd offer oranges or apples and um, some wine, etc., cetera, um, to the dead so that they would never be hungry and they'd have good things to eat and drink. And you'd burn money and that kind of thing. It was a traditional thing. Oh. So it kind of, yeah, so it was like, it was an offering in many ways, um, you know, of something good, but also something um, life-giving and also something that was, um, you know, thoughtful, right? That, that to tell, I guess, in my interpretation, that someone who had passed that we're still thinking about you here, have some food. Whenever I'd get car sick, I'd, I'd go for oranges. It was the thing that kind of, you know, set me right, like from nausea, you know, by good old vitamin C. Um, but just having that orange in my hand kind of gave me security, you know, um, and also that feeling of being refreshed and taking away vertigo and, you know, also that feeling of, you know, being taken care of or being cared mm -hmm. about, mm -hmm. right? It, it's my, it was like my, my focal, my focal fruit, you know, people have yeah. like focal crystals. It was my focal fruit. You know, every time I would go to the store, I'd gravitate to the, you know, pile of oranges and I would spend 10, 15 minutes there selecting my orange because my parents taught me how to select a good orange, right? Like it had to have shiny skin. It can't be too pitted. You know, it had to have weight, right? So you'd put it in your hand and it would have some weight. So it was, you know, it had to have a tactile, you know, interest too to you. So I would buy this fruit, bring it back home and then it kind of got into, you know, a bit of a ritual and I still do it to this day. I need to tell people how to peel an orange and how to experience an orange. Um, I've mm -hmm. been wanting to do this for a number of years because for me, um, how to peel an orange or how to eat an orange, just a very simple thing that everybody can do every day has you can actually spend 25 minutes doing it and it will be, um, I don't even know how to, it can be orgasmic. So, yeah. you know, you, there's a whole, the whole thing. You, you, you wash your orange, you cut your orange, you look at your orange, you smell your orange, you use all these senses and you really hone in on um, that input that an orange can provide for you. And when you spend that 25 minutes um, enjoying the smell, the taste, the texture, everything about an orange, it is that space that um, kind of grounds you to the here and now. You cannot believe how sensual, how incredibly vivid, how um, tender that orange can be. My mouth is so, watering, you realize. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, think about that. I think, you know, um, essential oils, right? Like, I mean, yes. or right, orange, orange essential oil has uh, cleansing properties. It has, 
um, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, when you smell um, a good, um, a good oil that that smells like real oranges, it really brings you to, you know, that sort of fresh place, right? It's like, it's like uh, new beginnings. It's like clarity. It's 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 all these things. So, you know, I think that I think that um, I'm going to do a seminar on that at some point. A, a 25 minute seminar on how to peel an orange, um, and how to I'm going to write about this, and you can help me with that. Um, and it's it's more than I think just the orange. You can actually. <laughs> If you take this orange with you, uh, you know, on your daily travels and you're having a particularly bad day, just take out that orange and you'll be surprised at how um, all of a sudden that orange can set you right. It's like nothing else matters. It's like, okay, everything else can wait. I'm going to peel my orange. I'm going to interject with something about the color of orange. Okay. And it makes sense. So I just completed my chakra balancing my chakra energy balancing certificate this year oh well, I'm just okay. fascinated it all it all unfolded when I did some yoga and I'd always been sort of interested in the chakras when it was mentioned a couple of times when I'd been doing some hatha hot yoga classes and they said this is really good for your crown chakra this posture is really good for opening up your heart chakra so I started to dig a little deeper and then I just jumped in full throttle this year to keep myself busy the color orange is associated with the sacral chakra that's the second chakra up from the root chakra it's connected with her hips in the pelvic area but it's also connected with the element water which means it provides flow flexibility and excitement in life also it's very much connected with their survival instincts of our physical being mm-hmm. but here's another thing is that not only it it's associated with the survival, but it's also the sense of where we gain pleasure, including, well, sexuality and reproduction. But, you know, creativity comes from the, wow. a strong sacral chakra, the color orange. So it does not surprise me when you say about the orange. The orange is very much profound in your life for so many reasons, both symbolically metaphorically <laughs> my car is orange is your car orange i had an orange car it orange is yeah i can't believe that you're telling me this like that that is um like in i find that you know a profound revelation actually um, i just find i find that super interesting i mean you know to have the orange i guess in in there and and you know, the joy that comes from the color orange and being able to connect to the creativity of, yeah. you know, your environment uh, and people. I just find that really astounding. So that's, that's very cool. You taught me something really, you, I'm totally, I'm totally freaked out at this point. Apparently, sometimes if we have trauma and a blockage in our sacral chakra, it could, be ready for this, be associated yeah. with authoritarian parenting. Oh my God. I know. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Give me my damn orange right now. (laughs) I just feel, I feel very fortunate to be honest with you. I mean, coming from the, you know, the background that I did and to be able to kind of walk through this earth and to be able to come and have oranges on my plate and just, you know, I... I think, you know, I've had people say, you know, ask me, you know, 
you like everything. Well, you know what? I do like everything. Can't wait till the next moment when I get to try something else. I can't wait till the moment that I get to slice into the orange and the zest that comes and sprays into my face and is the passion of 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 joy and intensity and keep going for it. I'm drawn to the flame. You need to write that book, How to Peel an Orange, and then turn this into a, a regular podcast. Okay. I, so. I just see so much success in that. It, it's oh. such an amazing thing. The fact that you, you know, you've dreamed up such a creative way of describing life. I'm going to tell you a secret here, right? You can actually cut the rind of that orange multiple times. You don't <laughs> just have to do it once. It's like multiple but it's so much fun to see if you can peel it all in one mass. <laughs> I have tried to do that too, to see if, you know, you know, when you try to, pe- you cut it into six, like you score six times. Oh, right. And then you kind of, and you try to peel it. So it's like this perfect flower that comes off and then you, you know, right. But my min, I'll probably in, you know, in the, in the book or the pamphlet of how to peel an orange, Maybe I'll do kind of a card for that. That'll be like, you know, functionality. When you really have to get out of a jam, you take this card out and you peel an orange like this. But that'll be like in slot number seven, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your orange story idea was so profound with me when we first spoke about the the podcast. Uh, No sooner, I think it was uh, a day or two later, we had yeah. done some amazing renovations in our kitchen that would definitely be Ellen Lee approved because all the sensors are firing. It's a bright, open, white space. And we wanted to fill this particular space in the house by the fireplace. Mm-hmm. And it was Jillian's idea, my daughter, who is very creative as well. She said, we need a big, tall plant to fill the space. My husband said, yeah, I agree. Something very, very tall. So I went down to one of the uh, garden stores in town. And I'm looking, I'm looking, must have spent 20 minutes. And I looked at all these different tropical plants and they just were not resonating. And then I just started peeking around a couple of tell palms. Tell me, tell me. And there was one left, the lone orange tree. Get out! And oh it's God. beautiful. And I'm looking at this and it's of course a higher price tag but I don't care. And the lady says to me, she'd been helping me. She says, you know, you're really drawn to this as opposed to some of the other tropicals. Why don't you just get it? So I turned to her and I said, did I tell you the orange story? (laughs) (laughs) We named her Ellen. Oh my God. I can't believe it. I have a tree, an orange tree named after me in your house. That's amazing. Oh yeah. I'm I'm so touched by that, Mary. And I'm going to put a stamp on it podcast episode number five but we digress as we as we have been since the start of this podcast <laughs> I want to jump right into flashcards which okay. is those special words I gave you and you just fire off an answer you didn't give me any of your answers so I don't know what's going to come Go. okay I'm going to call out five words and then I'm going to leave the last one is just a question authenticity my cat. <laughs> what? My my cat is the most authentic, uh, no show, no pretentious 
thing in this world. He's just himself. Like oh. you can't get you can't get more authentic than a cat. I mean, a dog can pretend because he's been you know uh, punished, but like or he's done something <laughs> wrong. But a cat is authentic as as it goes. Like whether he's in shit or whether he's love, it doesn't matter to him. He I just love it. is. Second word, community. Oh, I think that's, I think that's, you know, the, the world that you live in, all your, all your friends, all your associations. I mean, that's, that's your community. I mean, mm -hmm. I have, I have some really good friends. I have some people I don't know very well. I don't think that that really matters. Um, you know, and there's nothing more important than community these days with this pandemic. We're all separated and we've got a far away digital community. But, you yeah. know, you're part of my community, Mary. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so let's just. Blessings from COVID-19. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Thank you for that. <laughs> Vulnerability. It's your third word. Vulnerability. Uh okay that's like wearing your dirty underwear on the outside <laughs> getting your orange <laughs> okay oh, yeah. um you know i mean that's as vulnerable as you get you didn't you got dirty underwear right and but you know what we've all got dirty underwear <laughs> we just don't air it <laughs> Or, or, yeah, or at least six feet apart. Thank you very much. <laughs> Another blessing from COVID-19. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you don't <laughs> disappoint. I knew it was going to be funny and spontaneous, and I'm glad <laughs> that you're meeting my expectations. Mindfulness. Okay. Mindfulness to me is, um, is the same as kind of thoughtfulness. Um, I have some very mindful people in my life where, you know, it's, it's, I think it's not just about, you know, um, saying, you know, I thought about you today, but to also listen to how somebody is feeling and um, kind of putting forth, you know, what you think that they might need and without them asking for it. Um, yeah, because a lot of people aren't going to ask for it. And so if you're a mindful person, you just kind of listen to how someone feels. And, you know, there's no shame in giving them something, you know, that, you know, um, anything, an orange, as simple as an orange, really. Yeah. Going back to philosophy of being in the present, the here and the now. Yeah, That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, beautiful. A little off topic, but more important than probably any other word, motherhood. Oh, wow. That's a big one for me. I mean, I had a lot of trouble getting pregnant. And yeah. I think, you know, with three miscarriages, um, you know, a really difficult pregnancy, I think motherhood to me is a big one. Like, I'm blessed that I've been able to do it in the traditional sense to have a child even. And there's, it doesn't mean that, you know, if people decide that they don't want children or that they can't have children, um, that they can't experience motherhood. I think motherhood is more of, you know, I think just um, taking care of 
people and being kind and compassionate and, you know, being mindful of others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, motherhood is uh, something that is uh, altruistic. You just kind of give yeah. just because. And I mean, we're all, we're all kind of part of this planet all together. And we're, you know, it's so important to really just be kind to each other because we're all mothers in a lot of ways. Yeah. Okay. The last one, it's not a word. It is a question because I love to ask this question of everyone. It gives me something to do afterwards or something new to read. Favorite book of all time. Well, I, I started to read The Architecture of Happiness, and this book um, was given to me by, you know, a client that, you know, I did a project with. She's a, an older lady, and you know what? Besides my cat, she's probably one of the most authentic people I've ever met. Beautiful. And, and so, you know, when she gave me this book and with the title The Architecture of Happiness, I thought, okay, what is this going to be about? So right now, that is my favorite best book of all time. And it totally resonates with um, what I do for for a living. And it's, you know, um, kind of what we were talking about, creating spaces that speak to people, that help connect people to um, the here and now, connect them to a time and space um, in their life, connecting them to um, a feeling that, you know, makes them feel um, special or, you know, anything, you know, when you walk through a space um, to be able to have elements resonate to you and speak to you. These spaces um, remind us and challenge us to find the best in us and find what the meaning of happiness really is through architecture and, and, and design. My favorite philosophy book is still The Far Side Compendium by Gary Larson. Yes. So every Classic. morning, every morning, I just kind of open up and say, okay, Gary, give it to me. What are you going to tell me to do in life today? So I open up to a random opening. I actually call them random openings. And there's, I, I kind of close my eyes and wherever my finger goes to that cartoon, that cartoon is going to tell me what I'm going to do today and what the meaning of life is. And, oh, there is one more that's on my list that is, um, well, it's it's called Man by Kim Twe. I think it won some kind of Booker Prize. And um, that one I read a couple of years ago. I would say they all these books that I read, they're all kind of like, I guess, self-help books or they're, they just speak to me. And this one is really about, um, it's a very passionate book with um, imagery that connects um, food and the palate to passion. Everything that I read kind of has like texture to it in one way or another, so. This has been so much fun, really has. Oh. Connecting, like you said, rekindling that old friendship that uh, they never do die. I always hold everyone dear in my heart and think every, about everybody back in our Bel Air days and the old neighborhood. In well, you know Ottawa. what, Mary? I miss you. Oh. I really miss you. Yeah. yeah. You know, like it's been a while, um, but you know, I really, I miss a lot of my old friends. I miss my neighborhood. And this doesn't mean I'm stuck in nostalgia or anything. But you know what happens in our past and the people that we've connected with in our past, they have 
they have traction they really do right so mm. you know yeah they're yeah, yeah. so hopefully yeah. we can do this again like maybe when you get through your your fifth year podcast well hopefully not that long but you know your i don't know 20th podcast and you celebrate oh. you can have me back Absolutely. When we're launching your book and we're giving a big shout out to that oh, book. Oh yeah, exactly. That would be an ideal time to bring you back on. So that would be rather sooner than later. Thank you again so much for believing in me and, and in the process and sharing in my journey of creativity and creating a space where we can connect. And that's what I do. I'm a connector through storytelling. Well, if that episode didn't fire up all the senses, I was craving every juicy moment as Ellen shared her life's experience and how she came to realize that her destiny was all wrapped up in her natural creative nature. We talked about creativity in respect to its association with the sacral chakra, the energy center located in the sacrum. In Indian tantric tradition, the sacral chakra is also referred to as one's sweetest abode or one's own place. Hmm, how serendipitous it is to spend time talking about the power of spaces that are personal and sweet to us. This chakra also controls our ability to give and receive love and is the emotion tied to relationships. Relationships, they are so important. They connect us with our past, grounding us in our journey of discovery of who we truly are and are meant to be. Finding ourselves can be facilitated in a time and place that evokes pleasant memories. The disconnect of the pandemic has disrupted our ability to enjoy and nurture relationships with friends and with family, but it need not be a big cause for alarm. Simply by holding space for someone in our thoughts can bring about comfort and balance. And while we can't time travel or physically travel, we can travel back in time by reaching out to those who played an important part of our community at one time or still do to this day. Connections are so vital in a time of uncertainty and how fortunate we are today in our modern era to still connect virtually. This month, all my episodes will focus on the theme of love and relationships in some form or another. But above all else, the practice of self-love is an important one not to forget about. I join this 28-day challenge of self-love, and each day we share some unique ideas of taking care and nurturing our body and our spirit. If you are intrigued by the chakras and the associated emotions and senses and colors, well, join my Facebook group, Yoga for Business Excellence. You can click on the files and access each of the seven chakras, and each of my files include a description of the associated area of the body, color, sound, and of course, yoga exercises to bring balance and harmony. So as we celebrate love, relationships, and connections, take the time this month to connect with someone, something, or some place, and savor the delicious sensation of the here and now. Unfacts is a podcast by MGG Communications, Inc., a public relations company that focuses on brand strategy by first tapping into the individual's backstory. By embracing one's authenticity, entrepreneurs can make a deeper connection with their clients and customers and grow their brand reach simply by being relevant, relatable, and real. At MGG Inc., our business is telling your business.